Philippians chapter 2. Where have we been in this study on the book of Philippians? Written by uh, Paul to a church he started. You can read that story in Acts 16. They'd had about a 10-year relationship together between Paul and the church. Uh, that involved Paul's planting of the church, but then also them giving to his needs and making visits. We'll touch on that today. But this is a gospel partnership, a partnership in the work of Jesus that they had had together, um, and that's where we are in the book of Philippians. Two big themes um, that these people and Paul, they were pursuing Jesus together, and they were living with joy. We've looked at uh, the first two and a half chapters Um, And it starts kind of looking back, Paul says, on this relationship with a joy-filled prayer. Then it looks to the present about Paul's perspective on life. And then uh, we looked at last week a joy-filled challenge. Let's review some of this real quick. Look at chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Here's kind of the beginning of that prayer. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This was a special, joy-filled relationship around the work of Jesus. Look at verse 12, as Paul gives us some perspective on life, even as he's in prison. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. God is doing good things even in prison. And then in verse 20, he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's Paul's view on life. And then we recognize that even though this was a great church and a great relationship, there was more that Paul hoped for as they continued to grow. Uh, Look at chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And we wrapped up that challenge by saying that a healthy church, which is what we are praying God would make us as a church family, a healthy church is a church filled with God's grace and seeing him at work and a place of peace. We live in a country in turmoil, don't we? And maybe it's like an awful stew of our independence as Americans, right? Our pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, our have it your way sort of thing, plus, you know, human nature and selfishness and a culture that is rejecting God's word. But, but when you throw that all in a pot together, you just get friction. You get divorce, you get family friction, you get two political parties that seem driven on their own agendas. And you get churches that if it doesn't make me happy for two Sundays, I'll probably go someplace else. Or places where we're okay with gossip. Right? In the name of prayer sometimes even. You get this like... When when God is fully developing a church, it is a place of grace and a place of peace, humility, um, contentment, things that we looked at last week. But when you have a special relationship with people, don't you want to spend time with them? Haven't you sensed this? I know many of you have relocated to the West. Um, Those of us who live in the West, we seem kind of crazy to our family back East sometimes. How many of you have family back East? Okay, I know this is a common reality, right? And they think you're like 
slightly nuts. You cross the Mississippi. And, um, and they also sometimes think that it's very necessary for you to go back across the Mississippi, but very traumatic and challenging for them to come across the Mississippi. Anybody felt that? Right. That's part of living out west. But if you have people that you're close with, that you know and love, you want to spend time with them. And isn't it frustrating to have the limitation of miles or uh, the cost to fly or the vehicle limit, like the limitations of time and space that you can't be with them? That's where Paul's heart is as we read this next section. He desperately wants to stay connected and spend time with these people that he loves. Look at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. What does Paul want? I want to hear good news about you and be happy. Right? I want to spend time. I want to hear. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord, here's Paul's heart, that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. There's a name. My brother, it messed up my slides later, you'll see. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. What a group of titles. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice as seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Lord, we pray that as we look at your word this morning, that it would continue to bring light into our lives, that we would hear it with joy, with openness, and that you would bring fruitfulness into our lives, that you would change us and grow us as we think through what it has to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ever seen this? I got a guy. Isn't it nice when you have a problem that you know somebody who can help you? At the school where I work, um, we have, we did a renovation right before I came, and part of it was that they cut a hole in the guy's locker room ceiling. It's in the very back corner. They took out a shower wall so that it kind of become a changing area, and very few people in the building even know that place exists or want to go back into a high school boy's locker room, let's be honest. But there has been a hole in that ceiling since I started which was uh, a year and a half, solid year and a half ago. And that thing has been driving me crazy, even though nobody sees it except middle school boys. But I don't have a guy to fix it because it's too small a project for a big construction company to even care, and it's too big a project for our maintenance guy to do. There's some reattachment to the ceiling that needed to happen, and then it needed to be, you know, fixed. Right? I'm not great at these things. just need to be fixed. But I didn't have a guy. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have anybody to do it. Um, and uh, so it went on for a year and a half and wasn't fixed. And then 
two weeks ago, we hired a new person to do marketing, and I found out that her husband is in construction. And I was like, ta-da, I knew this was a good hire. And I, I, I said, we have these, this project. Do you think he'd be able to do it? And she was like, I think so. So I called him, and he showed up last week and took a quick look at it. And then like three days later, he gave me a bid. He came and did the job. And now I have a guy. It's great, <laughs> right? I got a guy. Well, actually, what Paul says here is he doesn't have a guy. He's got two guys. And, he, and, and since he can't go personally, he wants to tell the church at Philippi, I got two guys that I would highly recommend. By the way, the guy did good work, so I'd highly recommend him. They're a new construction company here in Utah, and if you got a project, you let me know. I bet I can get you a guy. Um, but that's what Paul's saying here, and he's really saying that these two guys are remarkable. And their example is instructive to us. But before we talk about those two guys, I just want to make this point, and I think you can feel it in this passage, that gospel work is personal. God intends us to develop deep and meaningful relationships together. Now, as an introvert, all those words scare me. I like alone time. <laughs> I like books. I like doing things by myself. But it's not how God, God didn't intend us to be alone. He intended us, as the Great Commission reminds us, to make disciples and to build relationships and that those would be deeply meaningful things. Do you know this happens as you serve God with people? God, he, he connects you. And, can, and can't you feel that connection in the verses we just read? Paul's personal connection with these people even though he's far away and in prison. Can't you feel his connection and love for Timothy and for Epaphroditus? I just want to encourage us all to dive into those relationships. This is one of the great things about community groups. I was talking to our community group this week and just saying, isn't it great that we have a small enough group of the church family you can actually get to know everybody? You ever feel overwhelmed? I was talking to the Spaldas today for the 35th time and getting their family's names again. I feel overwhelmed sometimes. And they were nice to me. They're going to leave and go like, Pastor Matt, oh my goodness. But, but gospel stuff is personal. Ask people their stories. Learn about them. Serve with them. Make time for them. Even when you're tired or it's inconvenient. Come this summer to Church in the Park. This is not an advertisement. This is how God planned for us to work together. When you hear that there's an opportunity to help somebody move, you're like, well, I don't really know them, and I don't really know where they live. Get the information. Just jump in. You make more connections and friends, and you have fellowship moving boxes. Gospel stuff is personal stuff. You say, but I might get hurt. Can I tell you something? You will. Promise. You will get burned. You will invest in someone's life and get close to someone who will hurt you. But don't eject. God intends this stuff to be personal. I mean, nobody did a better job discipling than Jesus. But he got stabbed in the back. Now that was all part of God's great his plan. We all know that. But, but don't be afraid of that. Don't let it keep you guarded. 
and protect. Like, just connect. It's personal stuff. But what about these two guys? Back to those two guys. Timothy, look at this. What does Paul say about Timothy? Some amazing things. These are examples that we can follow. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him, this is high praise, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For, the, for they all, other people, seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. When Paul kind of said in a nutshell, what is Timothy like? Well, he's a son in the faith. He's proven his worth. But I know his heart. He shares the interests of Jesus. Now, now that clearly means a couple things in this text, doesn't it? It means, uh, verse 20, that he's genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. And it means that he's not primarily concerned with his own interests. Those are two big things that it means from this passage. But I actually want to expand our thinking a little bit more, and this is going to involve some participation. What were the interests of Jesus? When you observe the life of Jesus and how he spent his time and what's recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you might know from the early church, what was Jesus interested in? What was he concerned with? What did he care about? about. Can we throw some things out? Other people, people, right? And I would like to even drill down a little bit more with that idea because that's big, isn't it? Right? What were some specific interests of Jesus when it came to people? What were some things he cared about, was concerned with, gave his life to? Correct. Sharing the truth. Absolutely. Good answer, Ian. That, that, That people would know what was true. That they wouldn't be attached to the religious systems of their day, but that they'd actually know what God said in his word and what it meant. What else did Jesus care about for people? Simeon. Okay. So he was looking outside the, the accepted circles of his day, right? What else? When people had needs... Like hunger, he wanted to meet them and provide for them. What else? Healing. Healing people who were sick. He cared deeply about people who were sick and hurting. What else? Yeah, he cared about children. And and I think we could add them into a category of vulnerability and need, right? And need of the truth at a young age. What else? Yeah, there were some specific people that he, he poured his life into intentionally. Parents, I hope this is what's happening with your children that God's given you. But, but that scope can broaden, can't it? You, you can't disciple 100 people at the same time. But you can intentionally pour yourself into a group of people or a few people. Paul tells Timothy, commit the truth to faithful men. Right? Jesus selected those men. He trained them. He gave his time to them. 24-7 in a lot of ways. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so he was about God's work. I must be about the Father's business. The night is coming when no man can work. He, he, had a, he understood clearly what God wanted him to be doing, and he was doing it with all his might. Can I ask a, a turn this question a little bit? 
what was Jesus not interested in? What, what do you see virtually nothing of? Politics. He almost seems annoyed when they say, who do you pay taxes to? Give me a coin. Whose image? Pay to Caesar what's due to Caesar. Pay to God what's due to God. What else? Yeah. Yeah. He, did, he wasn't obsessed over his, where he lived and what it was like. His stuff. Fashion. You know we know almost nothing of what Jesus ate? Jesus wasn't a foodie. He did, he did. So I can keep eating that lobster. Yes. It's good. Yes. Win and a win. <laughs> what was he not interested in? Okay. How, how can I relax and be entertained? What else? Yeah, social status, popularity, the opinion of others, especially the people that in the religious circles that weren't impressed with him. We don't know much about Jesus and his money. A friend of mine observed one time that um, if you want to know how much Jesus cared about money, think about who cared for his money. Who held the bag of money? But isn't it the tendency of our own hearts to be interested and, and many times overly interested in those things? Do I have my fashion together? Am I eating the stuff I want to eat? Um, am I getting the entertainment that I think is precious to me? Am I, I mean, my wife and I started a budgeting app this year and as a numbers guy, it has this report. It can tell you what's called the age of money. Does anybody know what that is? Basically means how much money do you have and how long would it last you if you didn't have any more money tomorrow, right? So it counts and day by day you can see what is the age of the money that, like, do you have six days worth of money in your bank or do you have 60 days worth of money in the bank, right? And as a numbers guy, I'm like, oh, it says seven today. It's nine, we're up to nine. Not that important. Timothy shared the interests of Jesus. What a, what a convicting question to ask ourselves regularly. Is what was important to Jesus important to me? And are there things that weren't that important to Jesus that are too important to me? What about Epaphroditus? I told you this guy messed up my slide. I had to shorten his name. Or else the, or else the phrase like goes all outside the box and I didn't know what to do. My OCD self just couldn't handle it, so I just shortened his name. Look at this guy, verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. How ill was Epaphroditus? How sick? They thought he might die. Now we need to back up our minds a little bit to a time not like our own. Because what do you first think when you hear that someone has a serious illness? I mean, you worry and you care for them. 
you pray for them? What do you hope? What? <laughs> Good insurance. That's awesome. Let's pray. That was the best answer yet. I hope they have good insurance. I hope that we can find a cure. That there's a medicine or a doctor or a... Rewind yourself to these days. Because the reality is that once you got that... Once you got sick where it seemed like you were going to die, what was probably going to happen to you? You were probably going to die. We know that he was really sick because the church back here in Philippi was worried about him. And the brief story is that our... Our best um, understanding from what we can gather is that Epaphroditus was part of the church at Philippi and they had a financial gift and some other things to send to Paul and so he was the messenger. He was your messenger. And so they sent him with those resources and on the journey he got really sick. But instead of turning around and going home, he went all the way to Paul. He stayed with Paul and um, look at verse 27. But God had mercy on him. He was healed by God. Miraculously healed. But Paul says something about this guy. He says, receive him, verse 29, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. He dealt with genuine, life-threatening adversity and continued the work that God had called him to do, and God chose to heal him. He's an example of steadfastness and perseverance. And I think if we're honest, most of us would have to admit that we are kind of soft. And we don't live in a persecuted place. Danny was talking about sharing the truth with others today, and just the fear of like, what would they say? I mean, that's a lot of what gets us, we're done. Here's a guy sick to the point he almost died and he stayed doing what God called him to do. Now, I'm not saying you should always come to church if you're sick. Okay, <laughs> Please don't make that application for this passage. And in God's sense of humor, my son is homesick today. Because it's actually in a way loving to not share sickness with all of you. But adversity is a part of following Jesus. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. I just want to trace this theme real quick and we'll be done. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, Paul says to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardship, some of our translations say. That's what Epaphroditus did. He endured real hardship. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Sorry, 12. We almost got there. If you get to 11, you're real close. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. 
Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How do we remain when times are hard? We consider Jesus. We look to Jesus. We follow him. He, he gives us grace and strength, 2 Timothy 2. But it's going to be a part of what it means to do God's work. It's going to be hard. It's going to try us. It's going to push us in places that are uncomfortable and where we really do want to tap out. I remember back in Indiana when we would go on trips. We'd go to New York City sometimes. We'd go to other places to either do work projects or share the gospel. I remember this with taking kids to summer camp. I remember almost every place where you were about to embark on something of um, added significance stuff happened. And it was usually within about 48 hours or 72 hours of the event. And it tried whether or not you would stay the course. We have a couple seminar coming up that I think is going to make a huge difference in our church. You should do everything you can to be a part of that. I know some of you can, some of you can't. But I have no doubt that in the lead up to that event, in our church family, there will be things that try us. As we get into the summer and we do consistent outreach into the community, as we pray together and serve together, it's no accident that adversity comes. James 1 says God uses that to build us, but there's no doubt at the same time that we have an adversary that resists what God is doing and what we're trying to do for him persevere, endure, look to Jesus. If you've ever seen this image, how many of you have seen this image? You know what this is? You know what uh, seal testing buds into, they call it hell week, trying to test into seals. The whole time that the seals are testing, there's a bell. Anybody know why the bell is significant? You ring the bell, you get out. That's how you get out. You're too hurt to continue. You just don't have enough to, to make the cut. You ring the bell. Don't ring the bell. Not, not to become a seal. I don't want to be a seal. <laughs> I don't think you want to be a seal. But, but you know what Paul says about Epaphroditus? He, he, he just kept going. It, it was hard. There was adversity. He, he just persevered. So two great examples of men who gave their life to what God had called them to. One who shared the interests of Jesus and one who hung in there when it was hard. Because it gets hard. So stay the course. Trust Christ. Persevere. That's what God has called us to together. Lord, thank you for your word.
we know often that you remind us to stand firm in the faith, to not shrink back. And, and we acknowledge that in our own strength, that's impossible. We desperately need your grace. We need Jesus. We thank you for his example that we can consider him who endured the cross. And we can stay the course and not faint and turn back. And Lord, we just thank you that um, you know our steps. You remember our frame. You know that we are dust. And so I don't even know what trials or adversities sit in front of our church family or in the middle of our church family fully. But would you encourage our hearts today to continue to follow hard after you? And would you help us to really think about what is important to us and what was important to Jesus and to invest our lives not in our own interests or in the interests of this world, but in his interests. It's in his name we pray. Amen.